Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Today we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about the glory of the Lord, and uh, it's not something we talk about a whole lot in church. I don't know why. Kind of dawned on me that I don't remember the last time I taught on just the glory of the Lord, and um, it's even hard, a little bit hard to define. You had to sit down and take a, a test, if you will. What would you say? What is the glory of the Lord? How would you add a definition to that? Uh, maybe we would try to describe it. Maybe we would try to, uh, to talk about it in figures and, and images. I don't know. But you, uh, you looked at a passage a little bit earlier in 2 Corinthians 3, so I'm just going to draw our attention back to that today. And it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, which is where we're going to just going to kind of guide our conversation about the glory of the Lord. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image, an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so, as we start here today, what we want to do is we just want to look at that and know, as you've read and heard the, the whole passage, you know that there's this comparison and this contrast going on between the, the, the law that was given and the glory of that law that was given and the glory of Christ. The law which was not enough to save us, nor was it ever meant to be. The law which would actually lead to death, and then yet there was still glory attached to it. And then you had Jesus, who was an ever-increasing glory, who was the glory of God, and that his gift and uh, his uh, glorious act is the one that brings life. And it's the one that um, gives life. And so comparing those two, how much more sufficient is the glory of Christ than the glory of the law? And so but what I want to look at today is I kind of want to refer back, if you will, to, to last week just for a moment. And that we're in the series that we called So Good, God is So Good. And we're looking at some of the things, only a few of them, because we look at it every single week, but we're just kind of highlighting a few of those things that are so good about God and that he is so kind and so gracious to do this for us or to uh, care about us in this way. And the very first thing we said is that he lavishes his love upon us. And we talk about what his love is and what that means to have it lavished upon us. And then the next week we said that he calls us and then makes declarations about us. And so because of that great love and because he made a way for us to be in a relationship with him, because he made a way for our sins to be forgiven and to be back in a relationship with the the holy God. Because of that, then he calls us. He calls us to believe in him. He calls us to follow him. And then when we say yes, when we say I believe in you, when we say you are my God, when we say yes, I need your forgiveness. Yes, I can't do it on my own. Yes, I follow you, my Lord and Savior. When we say that, when we, we receive that calling on our lives that the Holy Spirit has been moving and cultivating, we say yes. There's a declaration, and we talked about two of those declarations. And the first declaration is that we are sons and daughters of God, fully 
gifted, fully indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and enabled, right, and blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. But then we said there's more to that, that we are called, not that we become salt and light, but that we are salt and light. That that is what our that is what we are as sons and daughters. We become the salt and light of the Lord. We become that which shines His glory upon the world. And we said that while that is true, it'll take us a lifetime to learn to live in that truth. And that the Holy Spirit will be doing that exact thing, teaching us, guiding us, showing us, declaring for us what it means to be sons and daughters of God and what it means to live out the fullness of being salt and light to the world. And so, in this passage, it's saying that as we contemplate the Lord's glory, as we look into Scripture, as we spend time in prayer, as we learn from one another, as we walk in this relationship with Jesus Christ, we contemplate the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. We are learning to live in the midst of His glory in an ever-increasing way. We are learning to live out the glory of God in an ever-increasing way. The glory of the Lord is shining through us in an ever-increasing way, which comes from the Lord who is Spirit, because His Spirit has indwelled us. So, let's pause there for a minute before we return back to that passage, and let's give this definition for God's glory, because I think it's a tough one to wrestle with. What is God's glory? I think we're going to go with this definition, as inadequate as it might be. It's the visible or public expression of God's infinite and holy work. Let me, just, let me say that again. The visible or public expression of God's infinite and holy work. It's when God takes who He is, when Yahweh says, this is who I am, the I am ever-present, all that He is, His infinite worth, His holiness, all that makes God God makes Himself public, brings that holiness, public, or expresses it, is what we would describe as the glory of God. Let's look at some of the ways that the glory of God is revealed. It's revealed through creation, right? The heavens, the earth, and people. We read Psalm 19, 1-7, amongst many of Psalms and many of backdrops we could have chosen for today, but here's one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. <laughs> yeah, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived from its warmth. It's, it's literally saying that the mountains and the, 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 the universe, the skies, the, the, the seas, the land, it can't, they can't speak. And yet all day long they sing. All day long they pronounce. All day, day long they declare the glory of the Lord. It's as if we're sitting, picture yourself sitting in a meadow. And in that meadow, you're camping out and the, the campfire is done for the night and you look up and the stars are literally, have made the sky bright. 
Because there's no outside interference from man-made light. You're just sitting in the creation. God's creation. And you look over to one side and there it is, El Capitan, rising out like a giant glacier in the middle of the earth. And then over here, you have Half Dome rising out like that. Yes, that's a picture of Yosemite. I love that place. And you sit there and you realize exactly how small, insignificant we are. We look at our hands and we think of our knowledge and we look at the technology around us and we baffle and are in awe that, oh, not someone like me could have created this. There must be a God in heaven. There must be a creator. There must be an a God that is over the universe that spoke this into place. And so the glory of God is on display in His creation. The glory of God. And the glory of God is on display in His creation of you and I. It says we're made in His image. And I realize that science has done a great job and our medical technology has increased and doctors have knowledge that would baffle the doctors that came before them and And oh, how great it is. And yet, no matter what doctors can do and taking out a knee and putting in some bionic deal and suddenly we're bionic people walking around, no matter what they can do with technology and what knowledge they seem to gain, they did not create that knowledge themselves. They studied the human body and how it works. And they studied the components and the elements of our, of our earth, the creation, and they studied who we are and they studied how our bodies are put together. And yet not one of them, not one of them started with nothing and went, in my image I made this. Not one did that. Not one. And so we sit there and we marvel at the human body as it sings and glorifies God in its creation. The intricacy of the eye and the respiratory system and the the cardiovascular system and everything else. How could it be? How could it come about? Certainly, there is a Creative God that loved us enough to create us. Oh, the glory of God on display. Right? Let's go back to that definition. The visible or public expression of God's infinite and holy worth. On display in creation and on display in us. Now, the glory of the Lord is also revealed through physical manifestations. Through physical manifestations. Now, God is omnipresent. Let's not, let's not lose sight of that for even a moment. He's not particles everywhere. Omnipresent says that He is fully and holy. All of His holy, infinite worth, everything that He is, is everywhere all the time. He's here as well as across the universe at the same exact time. He's operating in my life and in your life at the same time he's operating in somebody else's life. Not a particle, not a piece, not a part. The wholeness of God, that is what the doctrine of um, omnipresence or says. Now, uh, how do you prove that? I don't know. Well, we could talk philosophically about it. But Scripture says that that's the way it is. Scripture says that that is who our holy God is. And now we have the testimony that right now he's working in my life and in your life, he's doing something right here. We have the testimony of people saying he's working in my life clear across the planet. And he's working and I know him and he's made himself known to me and we have his word doing amazing things and he is representing himself in creation in every other way and his glory is on display. 
But that's not what we're talking about when we say the glory of the Lord is revealed through physical manifestations. You see, he has chosen to manifest his presence in certain locations at certain times throughout history for the benefit of his people. Throughout the scriptures, we read of this glory, the presence of the power of God among his people. It would show up as fire, as thunder, as flames, as wind, as other things. The physical manifestation of the glory of God for his people to see and to benefit from. It's become, it came to be called the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory of God. God is here. His presence, His public display of His infinite worth is on display here in this local place, in this specific place, never surrendering His omnipresence, but making Himself physically available in one place or another. We see it first in Genesis 1 where the Bible says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters before the creation began. Right? The Spirit of God, His glory, Himself, it actually the, the physical representation, the public image of God was representing itself before creation. He was there physically at creation. He was there in we're told the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all active in the creation. Let's, let's go through, uh, let's make a journey, if you will, a quick one, I understand. But let's make a journey through the, through the Old Testament for a moment and see if we can find some of these places. We see that the smoking fire and flaming torch seen by Abraham as he walks through the sacrifice and is called to be the father of many nations. The glory of the Lord is on display in that flame and smoking fire and the torch. The burning bush as Moses, the kind of glory was available. It was revealed right there. Uh, the presence and the power of God is seen in the, in the cloud that went before the Israelites and the, the pillar of fire that led them. Exodus 13, 21 through 22 says this, the presence of the Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. There was God leading his people, protecting his people, guiding his people with his very presence as it was represented inside this pillar of fire in this cloud. He was the one that would go before them to pave their way, to direct them, to guide them. He'd be the one that would go ahead of them and fight their battle and go ahead of them and prepare their way. He would bring comfort to them during the day and night. They could travel at night where no other people could. They were also protected by that fire at night. They weren't simply exposed in the desert in the dark of night. They had light and the protection of the Lord all around them. But we see that when the tabernacle was erected, we see what happened there is that the cl a cloud fell upon the tabernacle and the glory settled on the tabernacle and the people of God knew the presence of God was there. In Exodus 40, 34 through 38, it says this. It says that then the, Lord, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting 
because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travel. The Lord was in the sight of all the Israelites while they traveled. He was their ever-present help. He was their guide, their direction, and their protection. When he said it was time to move, they moved. He said it was time to stay, they stayed. He had represented himself by cloud and by fire. Oh. Keep them from rebellion. He would provide, he would provide manna. He would provide water out of rocks. And he was a presence in such a way that it humbled them to be in the presence of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. Yeah, but they didn't always, weren't always humbled by that fact. They weren't always impressed by the Lord's presence with them. They didn't always turn and surrender their hearts to the Lord on a daily basis. No, they would often get become stiff-necked again. They would often exert, assert their own authority and their own will. They would often look away from the guidance and the protection of the Lord and decide their own journey. I'm sure that doesn't sound like any of us. And so there was this moment when, for whatever reason, they got into it with the Philistines. And they decided that it was time for war. They decided we're going to go. The Lord hadn't told them to go. The Lord hadn't told them to do that. The cloud hadn't moved, and yet they went. They even took the Ark of the Covenant with them. Sure, the Lord will go before us. He already told them how it was going to happen. He already displayed it. His glory had been leading them and guiding them, but they took the Ark of the Covenant, and they went forward. And what a disaster it was. That day, over 30,000 lost their lives. They were disobedient to the Lord, walked without Him, shunned His glory that was in their presence. It was such a tragic day for Israel. One of the daughter-in-laws of Eli, the priest and prophet, he was, she was pregnant and the pain of the loss of her husband and her father-in-law and the, the death and destruction, the calamity that was overtaking Israel. She went into birth. And upon going through a treacherous time at birth, she gave birth and she, she named her son Ichabod. The glory has departed. The glory of God has departed from Israel. Turn their back. I wouldn't be the first time. In fact, they would even come back. Uh, or I mean, uh, as Solomon would build his temple, the, the presence of the Lord would fill the temple again. And sure enough, they would rebel again. They would worship false gods. They'd be involved in perverted worship and go their own way and make their own plan and adhere to their own way. And the Lord disciplined them as a good father would. Sent them into exile, captivity, with another nation, that they would surrender this way, that they would turn back to the Lord. Because that's what our Lord did. He always made a way for His people to turn back. That's what He's always done. He's always made a way. Let me pause there for a moment with our ancient brothers and sisters in exile. 
experiencing the discipline of the Lord, that they might turn back. Because there's another place that the glory of the Lord was revealed, and we talked about it a little bit ago, but it's in the law. The glory of the Lord was revealed in the law. I'm going to ask us to go up a little bit in, in 2 Corinthians into verses three through, uh, chapter 3, 7 through 11. And now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For, that was for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So they were given the Lord, they were given the, the law by the Lord. It was glorious because it was holy. It was righteous. It was the word of the Lord written on stone tablets. It was a glorious holy law. It was how a holy God who's set apart and perfect says that his people should be living. That his holy people should be living. It's how it is that you would love one another and care for one another. That's what the law was. It was how it was that you were going to live in obedience and pleasure to him and how you were going to interact with him because he was our God. It was how we would know his character. How he would even love his creation. His law was holy and glorious. But it would bring death. It would bring death. So how can something holy and glorious bring death? Because it was from him. It was of him. It was by him for his holy people. But his holy people would not be able to keep that. His people would turn away time and time again. Turn away on an individual day. Turn away on a large scale. His people would abandon him and turn from the law. The law could not save them. It would simply expose their need for him. Understand what the law did. Yes, this was the righteousness. Yes, this was the holiness of God on display in the sense that this is how you would live. But it exposed the fact that we needed a Savior and a God, not that we could be God and achieve holiness on our own. It would expose the fact that we cannot be righteous as God is righteous. We cannot be holy as God would be holy. And we would need him. We would need his help. We would need his presence. We would need his guidance. We would need his forgiveness. And that was the point of surrendering them to discipline, to exile in another country, under another leader. They were captive. They lost their freedom that they would turn back to him, realize their need to him, and surrender their life to him. Constantly seeking his grace and his mercy, knowing that the law could not save them, that their own righteousness would never be enough. So let's move back. After the exile, Nehemiah would rebuild the wall and the temple, and the, the worship would begin to happen again in the temple, but never again would with a cloud descend upon it and the presence be in there as it was documented and recorded that it had been in the past. It wouldn't be that way again. And then we find Ezekiel's words. And I want to draw your attention here to Ezekiel 1. In Ezekiel 1, 
verses 27 and 28, they're, they're powerful words in this moment of, of God's glory. He says this, And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud of the day of rain. And so was the appearance of brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard the voice of one speaking. Now, we could spend a long time unpacking what all that imagery was, but what I need you to see about that imagery, it was describing a physical being. It was describing a, a, a human-type image. It was describing one with waist and an appearance, and an appearance as a man. The, the glory of the Lord wouldn't descend again on the, on the temple. It wouldn't descend again on, on the people in the form of a, of a cloud or the pillar of fire. The next appearance of the Shekinah glory, the next appearance of the glory of the Lord would be in a person the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord would reveal His glory in Jesus Christ. Do you remember in John 1.14 when it said, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Please indulge me as I read a, a longer passage from Colossians 1, verses 15-22. through 22. It says, for the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through His blood that was shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy to holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. And, and then in Hebrews 1, it says this. Hebrews 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. <laughs> and after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Remember on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. And he took his place. Now, now, what does all this mean? What, is a, where are we getting, what are we getting with this? So, the glory of the Lord... Right? The public or visual expression right, of the 
fullness, right? Let's go back to that definition real quick, of God's infinite and holy word. The visible or public expression of God's infinite and holy word is now being represented in the human body of Jesus Christ. The glory of God invaded a human body, took over a human body, and His glory dwelled in that body. And He came and He lived in that body a perfect life, showing us how to perfectly live out the law, perfectly fulfilling all the requirements of the law, perfectly loving each person, perfectly uh, uh, obeying the commands and the direction and the guidance of the Father, perfectly doing that. But because He was fully, right, the, the full presence of the Lord was there, He was fully God, that when He died, He had no penalty against Him. When He was Put on that cross, he had no penalty against him. There was no sin against him. He did it to pay the debt that was due to us. Remember, the glory of the Lord left the tabernacle and the temple. The glory of the Lord left. The, the discipline of the Lord sent his people away from his glory. They could return. There would always be room for that remnant that would return there would always be a call back to the glory of the Lord for sure. But this time it would be different. For all those who received the call, who all those who were given faith to believe, to all those who said, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yes, He did what Scripture says He does. Yes, He paid the penalty for my sins. Yes, I believe and follow Him as my Lord and Savior. For all those he calls sons and daughters of God. For all those he calls salt and light. And that sacrifice was good for all before and all to come because he was the image of the glorious God. And through that act, we are now brought into union with the Father. We are now unified with the Father. We are no longer separate if we have chosen and, and, and identified with that call and surrendered our lives. We are now made right with the Father, no longer alienated from Him, but brought into unity with Him. And the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Lord, indwells us. We are never again without the glory of the Lord in our lives. We are never again without the presence of the living God in our lives. The same one that guided Israel is the same God that guides us. And His glory is within us to guide us, to direct us, to help fulfill, uh, to help teach us to follow the law. Yes, we are still supposed to follow the law. We don't do it for salvation. We don't do it to be loved. We, don't do, we do it because it's still God's holy way for us to live, right? The moral law is still the way that, that His holy people would live out their lives. And so he's going to teach it and declare it to us. He's going to walk with us even in our disobedience and he's going to draw us back. He's going to be in constant communication with us and make himself available for constant communication from us. He is going to unite us as his church, his brothers and sisters. He's going to bring us together. He's going to help us to teach one another what it means to live out the truth of being sons and daughters and being salt and light. 
He's going to teach us how to live according to the glory that rests within us. Notice that it says that that as we look into that glory, we have an ever-increasing glory. As we spend time, it's not that there isn't glory within us. It's that we have been putting a cover on it. It is that we have been hiding it under a bushel. It is that we have been disobedient or are disobedient or that we knew very little about the Lord and that we press in and we learn more by being in his word. We learn more about who he is and what he wants. The spirit makes it alive in us. The intimacy of our prayer becomes our guide and the intimacy of our prayer becomes this constant conversation with the living God and he speaks to the depths of our heart. And we pour into one another's life, teaching one another to follow the Lord, teaching one another to live out that glorious expression. And then what happens? I don't know how to quite describe this and this is going to be terribly terribly short-sighted. I'm trying to describe something of infinite worth in a finite manner. So trust me, this one's going to be really short-sighted. But I've tried, I've thought, I've, I've labored. So how about this? Do you remember as a child, maybe when you were younger, a TV show or a comic book or something like that? And this This guy, this strapping guy, his name was Clark Kent. And he runs into a phone booth and he comes out and he's Superman. Well, not really. He just had on some different clothes. He was always Superman. It was something that happened inside of him. It was what was going on inside of him that he was Superman. And then there was this moment that he was going to expose him. It was going to come out and the whole world would know what was already going on inside of him. And he was going to be used to help people and to guide people and to to love people and to to take care of people. This is incredibly short-sighted of an illustration, I understand. But when the Spirit indwells us, there's this change, this transformation that that pastor was just talking about. And it happens. And as we spend more time in the Word and we spend more time in prayer and we spend more time with one another, we, we learn about that glory of God that's within us. We learn about that relationship and it comes out more. And it comes out more. And it comes out more. And now what are people seeing? They're seeing what has already taken place on the inside. And it's living out. And I'm loving people as God would have me love people. I'm caring for people as as the glory of the Lord inside me would have me care for people. Literally, as I interact and I teach and I guide and I, I give help and I walk alongside of something, the glory of the Lord is shining and doing what? Drawing people unto him. So what does it mean to be salt and light? The light is the glory of the Lord that is expressed through you and your relationship with him. And the glory of the Lord that is expressed through you and your relationship and how you care for those around you is drawing people into his presence. Sons and daughters of God. The glory of the Lord is in you. Your great purpose is that it would shine back and draw people to the glory of God himself. It was never meant to be hid. It was always meant to shine to the world. You are the sons and daughters of God. May his glory shine 
and draw the world into a relationship with him. It's our great purpose. It's our great purpose. Oh, Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your majesty, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, you are far greater than we could ever imagine. You have always revealed yourself to us. You have always been our protector and provider. And then you did the unthinkable. You came here and expressed your glory through Jesus Christ. And you made a way for us to be never again separated from your glory. And then you said, you too, my sons and daughters, will be the glorious, radiant light of my intimate way. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for that goodness. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for that mercy. And thank you for not leaving us to our own understanding. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.